Welcome to this week's edition of Cogley and Morrow on Politics. This is Eric Morrow, and this week I am in the studio uh, without my co-host, uh, Dr. Nathaniel Cogley. Uh, I will do my best to keep you engaged. Uh, there is plenty happening around us, uh, especially in regards to the spread of coronavirus and the challenges that is bringing to so many. Uh, we are looking at, at this, certainly as we do with our show, on, on the political implications, uh, because this does involve government. It involves government engaging uh, with this crisis because it is impacting us, not just on a regional or state level, but certainly nationally. And, of course, this has already been impacting uh, the world as a whole and will continue to do so in the immediate future. Uh, and that is part of the challenges uh, in politics and government is when these crises happen and the expectations that people have uh, of that response in order to coordinate uh, such a massive scale of things that's impacting so many different aspects of our lives, from public education to health services uh, to the economy. Uh, there's just so many elements here that government is engaged with and our our state, local, federal agencies, our, our political leaders are all engaged with it, are trying to address, and, and so many uh, challenges coming at one time and, and being so widespread. And so uh, at the beginning of the show here today, I just want to take a look, a look at this. Uh, as we know, it's developing every day. Uh, it, it's something that's changing. It's so, so very fluid. Uh, but I want to take a look at this on two levels. Uh, one is uh, the public health level. Uh, and that's just uh, having a very frank discussion with our listeners uh, about why it is important that we follow the guidance that's being offered by public health officials, uh, why it is important that we're listening to those in the medical field, uh, that we are uh, uh, doing what, what's being asked to try to prevent the spread of this. Uh, the other is on, on that political level, uh, not to politicize a very challenging crisis that we're having, uh, but, but to look at it in a way of, of how we engage with government, uh, what those expectations are, and really what we need the role of government to be in a, a crisis like this. As we go through this, as we get through this, uh, the, the amount of analysis that will come on how uh, levels of government, agencies of government respond, how, how well we are prepared knowing uh, that this could happen again, uh, that, that we're not immune from something like this, even in the modern age where we have so much technology and advancements uh, in our hands that, that we can still have something like this that can basically bring the world to its knees in terms of its day-to-day function and, and the expectations people have. And so that that's a very critical thing to be aware of uh, as we go through this, because there is a tremendous amount uh, of pressure and responsibility uh, that is put on government and on our elected officials uh, to to guide our our state, our our nation, and really the world uh, through this crisis. Uh, so this first segment of the show is really looking at that. It's the it's the public health part of it, as I mentioned first. Uh, right now, uh, we are seeing states that are asking their residents to shelter in place, uh, which means that. Limit tr limiting travel to essentials, to get food, to get medical assistance. But part of this is to limit 
uh, the spread of the virus or really to slow it, uh, because as we've seen in other countries, we see this uh, most uh, clearly in Italy, uh, that uh, the spread of the virus being as quick as it was and the response as limited as it was has overstressed their healthcare system. And this is what we don't want to happen in this country. I mean, it's going to be stressed to a certain degree, but that stress can be mitigated over time uh, when uh, the, the virus is not spreading as rapidly as it could. And so this is the, 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 the main uh, directive that's being given is for people to limit travel, to limit person-to-person contact, uh, to, to keep uh, isolated to a certain degree within family units, uh, within homes, uh, in order to, to limit that spread of the virus. And, and this is so critical. I mean, we're, we're looking at in a country like Italy, that healthcare professionals are having to make dis- very critical decisions on who gets the medical care they need, who gets a ventilator, who gets the resources that they need, and who doesn't. And that's a very challenging uh, position to put uh, healthcare workers in. Day, day in, day out, they're faced with those decisions, but they have the opportunity to do everything they can uh, to save a life. Uh, yet now, because of what has happened with this uh, in Italy and in other places, as we're seeing, uh, they're having to, to make decisions based on resources. And that is something that is very critical during this time. That is why public health officials are out there in front of this, why they're directing and, and trying to advise everyone from the president to governors to uh, county and city leaders to do the things that they need to do uh, to respond to this and to try to, to save lives, to try to slow the spread of this virus and to try to, to save lives. And so that's why it's very critical for each and every one of us to be tuned into that. Uh, certainly not that we need to be watching the news 24-7. I mean, part of that is the impact of, of seeing how challenging this is. Uh, and that, that can be very difficult when uh, really our time needs to be spent uh, with our families, friends, uh, with, with renewing ourselves and strengthening ourselves to kind of get through this. And so I'm not sure that watching uh, the news 24-7 is the best way to do that. It's important to stay informed and to stay informed with those directives and that guidance that's being given uh, by our uh, local officials and state and federal as well. Uh, so that that's very important right now and that people are Yes, essential travel, if you need medical assistance, uh, if you need to go to uh, the grocery store. Uh, we, we're seeing things kind of replenish now after kind of initial run uh, of people trying to, to get things. Uh, but that that's all changing. The food supply, as we've seen communiques out there, uh, is in good order in that the essentials are getting through. It's a little challenging in terms of transportation and getting uh, enough uh, trucks and enough other resources uh, to help uh, grocery stores be fully stocked. But but there's a, there's enough out there. And on the other side of that, it, what we've seen, and, and I've seen this in social media, I've seen it on a number of different platforms, and that is people reaching out to help other people, knowing that, that family members or neighbors or others around them may have specific needs. Uh, some of it may be the overcoming the anxiety of, of getting out, or they may not be able to do that, or they may, for health reasons, may not be able to get out and, and want to compromise uh, 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 what uh, challenges they already have in their own health and well-being. And so being aware and sensitive to that uh, helps uh, through this as well. So I would encourage our listeners 
especially in terms of uh, as we t- stay on the the topic of this show, uh, and we're talking about government and its role in something like this, is that we we follow the the direction uh, that we don't look at this and say, hey, you know, I'm I'm young, I'm healthy, uh, I, I I don't want to be restricted. Uh, we're not talking about this just for our own sake. We're talking about this for others as well because the actions we take uh, could be. Uh, saving the lives of other people uh, because we don't uh, spread or we don't contract or we don't use resources that really need to go to people who are in dire need of it. The second part of this, as I mentioned, uh, is is really analyzing uh, the role that we see for government in this. Uh, crises always bring us to a point where especially if the magnitude of the crisis is significant. So we, we've seen this when we see a natural disaster, a major major flooding, a hurricane. Um, uh, we've seen this kind of response where the resources of a local community, of a state, or even a region of the country are not sufficient uh, to address the needs during that crisis. First, you know, you have your basic needs of shelter and food and medical care, uh, but even beyond that, of rebuilding, of uh, the challenges of kind of putting the pieces back together and trying to get life returned to uh, a normal state uh, in which people uh, expect that the services uh, are going to be there, that they're able to move and go and do uh, and carry on the activities of their lives, their work, uh, their hobbies and uh, recreational activities, uh, what they do with their families, uh, that all of that is, is uninterrupted, uh, um, uh, that it's able to continue beyond some a natural disaster. And if we look back in the history of our country, uh, we've really, uh, we've seen that develop, especially within the last century, where at the time of the Great Depression, uh, where here you had a national and really a worldwide economic crisis, and government comes in and addresses a number of things to try to get uh, not just get the economy back on track, uh, but also to to address the well-being of people. I mean, here was a crisis where you had one in four people were unemployed. So a 25% unemployment rate, if you can think about that, uh, compared to where we've been around 3% here in recent times, which is undoubtedly going to rise uh, significantly. During the Great Depression, you also saw that uh, the the data shows us that one in five people were homeless. So one out of every five people uh, did not have uh, uh, adequate shelter. Uh, So these were were monumental challenges that were, were government really was the solution. One reason for that is that states did not have those resources. Uh, many states went bankrupt. Many states just did not have the capital to infuse within society to prop up public services. So it was essential for the federal government uh, to leverage uh, its uh, powers as well as its resources in order to help the nation as a whole. And and really since that time, I mean, there, there are examples even of this before that time, but, but since that time, we have seen this over and over again where when there has been a national crisis, whether it's a, uh, or, or a crisis of any kind, a natural disaster is, is one of the major ones, but we've had other economic crises. We had the the Great Recession uh, of the last decade. We had uh, the uh, 9-11 and the, and the economic challenges and rebuilding challenges that came after that. But we've seen this over the last century where government has, has played uh, an a ever-increasing role 
in responding, uh, especially if it's on a regional or now, as we see, on a national or even a worldwide level. And and so that that's one of the things that we have to factor into this. One of the things that we have to look at and kind of think about uh, our expectations, because uh, on the one hand, we see this as a necessity. Uh, I mean, at, at who in a, in a community or even a state or the federal government, um, uh where where is the ability to address this in an effective way? Where is the ability to provide the resources? And as government has adapted and changed over time, uh, we've put in things, even at the state level, at the federal level, uh, to prepare for these things. We know natural disasters are going to happen. Uh, we we. We really didn't know. I mean, I think there were some out there in the public health community uh, that were very aware that we could see a virus of this magnitude, of of, of this impact uh, spread throughout the world. Uh, we've we've seen regularly, uh, once, twice a decade, we've seen some a virus appear uh, that has a, str- a, a major regional impact or maybe within one country or on one continent, and it does spread to other places. But by that time, there's the ability to respond to it and try to limit. Uh, we, we've not seen something uh, of this magnitude, uh, and, and really we could say in, in over a century. We'd have to go back to the, the influenza uh, outbreak uh, in the early 1900s, uh, but, but even then, to see the impact that this has on our world and on our society uh, is, is just quite significant uh, at, at this time. And so, uh, the the preparation for this, uh, you really ask, how could you be prepared for something of this magnitude? Well, when we look at this in terms of government, we, we really have to see that our, our reliance in our, our, our direction for coordination on resources on a national level uh, has to be the federal government. And that is, is how this has developed over time as, as a reliance on the federal government, uh, the ability of the federal government to mobilize resources across the country, uh, to aid states, uh, to call in the military uh, when necessary, uh, to, to help uh, in, in the, the structure that may be needed for this, uh, to have the supplies available uh, to be able to respond to this. Uh, and so, really, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up is the the, the understanding that while we may have a, a an open society, while we may have a representative democracy that has a very uh, a strong and robust. Uh, 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 economic system based on capitalism and, and free markets, uh, there are still those things that happen in our world. There are th- still those things that happen in our society where uh, we have to let go of some of those, what we would say, freedoms, freedom to move, freedom to act, uh, w- w- even freedom with our financial resources, because if government's going to be prepared for these kinds of things, uh, there has to be the resources there to, to be able to address it, whether we have those available and ready at the moment or if it's something that we may be paying for uh, for decades to come because we are talking about uh, especially in this case with the with the coronavirus uh, we're talking about uh, this being so widespread that if it's not under control I mean there are some critical issues here of security uh, of, of, of the lo- loss of stability I mean our society is very much uh, uh, not just governed, but functions on the basis that we have ongoing stability. We have economic, we have political, we have social uh, stability that that we can rely on. That through our system of government governance, uh, through uh, the rule of law, uh, that w- that we are going to have some level of stability. 
that is for the well-being and the common good of the majority of the people. Uh, this is the kind of thing that, that can threaten that. Now, I'm not here to be uh, apocalyptic. I'm not here to you know uh, talk about uh, and, and, and predictions and, and direction of where all this going. I, I'm looking at kind of the reality of the way and our expectations of our society in relationship to government and that role that government has uh, in order for us to, to really understand it in the midst of a crisis like this. And so uh, this is why it is very, very critical on the one hand, not only that we, we listen to guidance that's there, uh, that we follow directions in order to protect uh, health and, and well-being for as many people as possible, but that we also understand the role that government has in this. And that role is, uh, is to come to the aid, to come to assist uh, the people as a whole uh, in, in the best possible way that we can do. And, and, and then really in a time like this, and if we want to bring in the political element of it, there are very strong political elements. We, if, you, if you're watching the news, you're seeing some of those challenges come to the forefront and people disagreeing on what government should do and how much they should do it, uh, critiquing uh, one side or the other in terms of what they're doing. Uh, as we, we've seen, the, the, the president President and daily uh, press conferences and the kind of the debate and the demeanor that happens in those exchanges. Uh, a lot of that will be for analysis after we get through this to kind of look back and say, well, how well did our government officials respond to the needs of the nation and the needs of people and mobilizing the resources of government to address this? This, this will be just like 9-11. Uh, it will change uh, the way we do many things. Uh, there will be a lot of things that will transition in certain ways that we, we're yet to really understand. Uh, but for a time to come, decades to come, uh, there will be analysis looking back on this, not only to prepare for uh, the eventuality that it will happen again, but also to look back and see how did our government respond? How did our leaders, our elected officials from the local community all the way to the White House, how did they respond in order to to address this and to and to help people uh, navigate through this, uh, so one of the the challenges that we see within this, and this is my hesitancy at at times really to talk politics, is that it's almost uh, in a in a crisis like this the need uh, to to suspend politics. Okay, Let, let's let's not get into the realm of of where ideology. Uh, really governs so much our response uh, to specific things other than the main motivation is uh, what is in the best interest of the nation and and the people of this nation, uh, not in political gain or uh, uh, the optics of things and how it looks. I mean, those factors become very critical, and it's certainly leaders should be aware of those, how people are responding and whether there's a, a assurance that's being conveyed that things are being addressed. Uh, but it's much, much more important to kind of move beyond that. And and for myself and looking at our leaders, uh, that's something that I use to, to, to gauge uh, my evaluation of someone that's in a leadership role is ha- how are they how are they navigating this? How are they working through this, given their position, uh, given their their responsibility?
accountability, um, uh, given, yes, that they are in public office, that they are elected, uh, but how are they uh, uh, treating that? Uh, uh, for example, you've seen some governors come forward, and I think this is a great example, where they come forward and they're not worried about the political ramifications of what they're doing. Uh, there, there, there's several that have come out and said, hey, th- this, this is on me. I am making this decision, and I am being responsible for it because this is a decision that I think is in the best interest of the people of my state. Okay, that that is a decision that whether you judge motivations or not, you know, certainly could have a political motivation. But if you see the the genuineness of some of this, to say I'm taking responsibility. Um, I mean, how often do you hear an elected official say that? I mean, in, in a time of crisis, it's, it's very critical. Uh, but but here, what they're what they're saying is that. Uh, I'm not making a, a playing politics out of this. I'm making the decision that I am in a position to make that I think is in the best interest of the people of my state, uh, and I will take full responsibility for that. And th- and that's really the the kind of courage. That's the the uh, the the position that we need many of our political leaders to make in the midst of this in trying to collaborate and trying to work together. Uh, this is not necessarily a time for consensus building to take the time to say, hey, hey, is everybody on board with this? There are very, very difficult decisions that political leaders are having to make uh, that that are that are very that are uh, impacting lives, uh, that, that our life or death matters. Uh, and they're having to make those decisions knowing that they have to take responsibility for them, uh, but they're willing to do that. So these are things that and reflections that I have on this. Uh, the, the virus itself and the, and the pandemic that we're seeing will certainly factor into some other things that and other segments and issues that I want to look at today. But I wanted in this opening segment uh, really to kind of focus in uh, on our understanding and our engagement with both responding to what government is doing and what it's asking us to do, what our leaders are asking us to do, but also, on the other hand, to be looking at this and how they are are leading us through this and making the decisions that they have to make, uh, oftentimes based on our expectations, but also as we look back through our history, uh, the expectations that we've developed about government's role uh, during a crisis like this. So we're going to take a quick break, uh, and then I'll come back to continue on on my own today, but I'm glad to be able to do that and continue uh, uh, for our listeners and those that uh, regularly tune in to Cogley and Morrow on politics. I'll be back after the break. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Tarleton State University engages with its communities to provide real-world learning experiences and to address societal needs. Only 24% of Tarleton's budget comes from state support. You can support Tarleton programs, faculty research and teaching, and student scholarships by making a gift that can transform lives. Call the Office of Development at 254-968-9769 or visit tarleton.edu slash giving. Welcome back to Cogley and Morrow on Politics. I'm glad to be with you today and uh, continuing our 
uh, program here right on, on KTRL FM uh, 90.5 here broadcasting from Tarleton State University. Uh, we have been enjoying this process of a radio show, of, of, of really a process over time of not only learning ourselves uh, uh, how, how to do this, uh, but also providing it as a public service. Uh, this is so critical uh, during this time, not only during the crisis that we're facing, uh, but also in the fact that uh, politics in and of itself has so much of an impact on our lives, whether we uh, acknowledge that or not. And a part of our goal here, or one of our goals at, on the radio program for uh, Dr. Cogley and me has been to engage with critical issues and get you information uh, that helps you stay informed uh, and, and understand, and, and as well encourage you to do more of your own research, reading, uh, responding, analyzing uh, some of the critical issues that are out there. And one of those that we we don't want to leave uncovered at this point, uh, in, in that we still have developments and things that are happening, uh, is the primary process. And so in the midst of all of this, uh, we have had primaries that have continued uh, in moving toward the nomination of a Democratic candidate for the presidential election in November. And so this has changed very radically. Last time we came to you, uh, it was in recognition at a time when we recognized the dramatic turnaround that had happened with Joe Biden. Uh, the fact that going into the South Carolina primary, uh, he uh, had seemed all but out uh, with uh, Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg and, and, and others uh, gaining support in those early primaries. And then all of a sudden, it was just a complete turnaround to the point now that it's just almost assured, uh, barring any major changes in the primary system in terms of what uh, what is happening, that Joe Biden uh, will be the nominee uh, at the Democratic convention. Uh, in fact, he's on track now to go to go past the number of uh, primary votes that he will need uh, to get the nomination. And so part of that was was a very interesting dynamic and in what changed. And we did some analysis on this when we were looking at how demographics really changed in voting patterns between 2016, when Bernie Sanders remained uh, all the way up to the convention, a, a, a challenge to the nomination of Hillary Clinton, uh, where he won some significant uh, primaries, especially at this stage, he had won Michigan. Uh, he he was uh, very very much still a contender, enough so that uh, they did have to have. Um, uh, really bring into to consideration the influence of his supporters uh, and of the role of Sanders in the convention. Uh, well, this is completely different. It started out, we were thinking that this may be a brokered primary because you had Mike Bloomberg coming into the race and putting all of his resources in to jump in at Super Tuesday, uh, try to shake up uh, the, the race as well, uh, especially that ramped up as uh, the, the numbers for Biden were not looking very good early on in the primary process. Uh, but all of a sudden, South Carolina, uh, Joe Biden wins by double digits. Uh, then we move into Super Tuesday just following with very little time for Biden to expand his campaign, uh, but the momentum was there. And the momentum led to big wins in Texas uh, and, and several other states. 
Uh, then we saw Michigan and Minnesota, and we just began to see, especially as candidates dropped out, Klobuchar drops out, Buttigieg drops out. Uh, after Super Tuesday, Bloomberg drops out, Warren drops out. I mean, it just it just began to pick up momentum uh, to the point now that Joe Biden is firmly uh, in the lead uh, in this process and looks to be the one that will be nominated uh, by the party. Now, not to, to, to belabor the point on the primaries, as we will continue to follow those and watch those all the way into the convention and throughout, then moving on into the general election. Uh, but part of it would be to look at, uh, in this time when we have a national crisis with the coronavirus and really what the impact is. Now, we've already seen some primaries that have been moved uh, to this point uh, to uh, later uh, in, in the next few months or into the summer. Uh, that happened with Ohio, very last-minute decision to delay uh, their primary, something that was not very popular with the Democratic Party, uh, which filed suit in uh, the courts to try to address that. But we can understand some of the reasons why those primaries uh, have been uh, delayed uh, for the moment. And, and in the one sense, it doesn't look like uh, this is going to have any additional impact on the outcome of the nomination. Uh, so that that's uh, I think it would have been more contentious if this was still very much a race between at least Biden and Sanders or maybe another candidate like a Bloomberg. But now that it seems very clear that Biden is in the driver's seat here and will likely get the nomination, uh, it, it doesn't it's not as critical. And thus there is this. Uh, uh, motivation to say, OK, look, we don't want to expose people. We don't want the primary itself to be a challenge to public health. And so let's delay this. We, we have time to do this to see how this plays out. So my questions that come into this now as we look at a possibility of a Biden-Trump general election uh, for the presidency is what could be the impact uh, of the uh, coronavirus crisis uh, on uh, the presidential election. Uh, and I'm not, as, as I've said on the show before, I'm not too much into predictions, so I'm not, this is not uh, trying to uh, give you a roadmap going forward, uh, but we do want people and listeners to be aware uh, that this will definitely have an impact. I mean, it already has in the uh, uh, debates between Sanders and Biden uh, in terms of the response to it in terms of the analysis of how Trump is responding. And I think that's something that's going to be very much front and center, uh, not only politically, but economically. You know, how how is the president providing that kind of leadership, knowing that while he doesn't necessarily control all of that, what he does and says has an impact. And in the minds of people, economics very much influence the outcome of a presidential election. And so if... A lot of this that could very much depend on where we are in the recovery from this economically uh, post-crisis when it comes time to ramp up for the general election. We get past the conventions and we're moving toward the general election. Uh, it, it very much could be the the state of mind of the people, the state of the economy, uh, how, how assured people feel 
feel about where they are economically uh, going into the general election. And we've seen this before. We've seen this happen in other elections where, not necessarily with a crisis of this magnitude, but where we have economic challenges and it does have an impact on voting and the outcome of the election. And so that is one thing to watch. What, Where will we be in that recovery process uh, uh, in line with the general election, uh, the debates, uh, the the and then the election itself. The other part of this will be how each of the candidates really handle this and how they they put forward uh, their uh, understanding ideas uh, regarding the role that a president has in this. Uh, so it's one thing to kind of watch this in real time. And this is kind of where I caution people when you get into the political realm where there is so much emphasis uh, put on optics, on how things appear and how that appearance then influences perceptions and opinions. Uh, that is very much in the the world of politics. If you it, it, really, the people who are successful in politics are the ones who not only have great ideas, they have great energy, they tackle the tough issues, uh, but it's often those people that can combine that uh, with the optics. Uh, that that then communicate to people that they not only know what they're doing, but they're working on their behalf, uh, and and they they represent uh, who they are, uh, even if that means demeaning uh, the institution that they're already involved in. I mean, one, you see this regularly with politicians who run for office, who talk about um, how how bad Washington is and how uh, things need to change and, and so on. Well, that resonates with a lot of people, uh, and they vote for that person. Uh, and that person knows that, hey, I'm kind of running down the 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 institution and the place that where I want to work or or where I want to be. Uh, but I'm doing that knowing that that connects with the, with the people. In a, in a crisis like this, uh, there is the kind of day in day out ebb and flow of this. Uh, and if you've watched any of the news conferences that the president has offered, uh, he, he's moved all over the spectrum. You know, one one day or one moment. Uh, he'll be very reassuring. He'll be very calm and collected, uh, kind of the expectation of many people to say, hey, we're kind of looking to our leader of the nation uh, to to assure us that we're going to get through this. And then the next moment he's attacking a reporter or he's uh, he's, he's arguing uh, about uh, some uh, point or detail in a public forum like that. Uh, and so this is something that's going to come into play as well. It's going to be how that is received by people where Trump will be looking back, President Trump will be looking at what he res- how he responded and what he did uh, and how people either engage with that or understand it or interpret it. There'll be many people who will not have, s- have seen anything, but they'll, they'll take it at face value from him and say, oh, yeah, okay, yes, Mr. President, uh, you must have done that because you said it. Uh, there'll be somebody like Biden. Another thing will be for him is looking back on his record and saying, well, in this crisis or in this time and this and I did this and that. And people will take that at face value. Uh, that that's that's certainly uh, uh, that certainly will happen. And then there'll be others uh, who will look at this more in depth and, and will really uh, look at. Uh, the role of president coming through a crisis like this and and almost will be saying, uh, if we have to go through this again, would I rather have a President Trump or would Joe Biden be my choice of someone in the White House uh, if if this happens? And, and this is very critical. I, I don't know that many of us 
think of this in this way, but coming out of a crisis like this, so close to an election, uh, this is sometimes even a subconscious thing. We're not even not even consciously thinking about this, but if we're really engaged, it's like, okay, who who do we want at the helm uh, when we go through this? And, th- and they're going to be presenting themselves in that way. They're going to be touting their experience and their credentials and what they would do if a crisis like this happens again. Um, right now, we don't we don't see any of that, and really, this is taken a back seat. The whole presidential election, the primary process, all of this uh, has taken a back seat, uh, rightly so, uh, to the coverage of uh, the current crisis, and and that's that's critical. That's it's necessary at this time. It's really about how we get through this. Uh, but I but I'm really looking ahead here to say once we are past this, or once we are you know things start to return to the regular pace of life, that the 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 presidential election, uh, the the politics of it. All of that is going to come into play. Really, the function of government after that is going to be starting the recovery. How do we recover economically in terms of our public health system, uh, public, uh, our health systems across the country, public and private? Uh, how, how do we address this? How do we get people back to work? How do we get industry that, that slowed and, and had to uh, stop for a certain point? period of time? How do we get that back um, and the economy back uh, running again? And, and Trump, President Trump's already made some predictions uh, about that and saying that he'll think things will just, you know, take off uh, after this because of all this uh, pent-up um, uh, resources and uh, wants and opportunities that people will have. Uh, we'll see. Usually these kind of recoveries are something that take a long time. And it does take a significant effort on the part of government and on the part of communities and states as well. Uh, but we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, but we need to be aware that all of that is going to have an impact, uh, definite impact on the election uh, and on that election process and on how these candidates are viewed uh, because it will be, uh, be, be people, one, assessing their, their, their economic well-being and how the government has responded to that. It will be people who are taking stock after a crisis like this and kind of saying, uh, where am I and what, what, where do we need to go? Who, who do I see as the leader to lead us forward uh, in the recovery of this, uh, as well as if we have to weather this crisis again? Uh, it will be people who will uh, be looking at, uh, sometimes maybe beyond the, the politics of all of this, uh, to uh, what what they see and what how they assess our country as a whole in going through a crisis like this and what impact that has on how they view uh, the presidency, uh, the leadership of our federal government, the role and, and function of our federal government. I mean, the, these types of events, if we look back historically, uh, have a tremendous impact uh, on the way people view government. And we've talked about that already a little bit with the growth and expectations that government will be there to help. Uh, navigate through it and to recover uh, after the crisis, given the the magnitude of it. Uh, but on the other hand, you know we've seen major changes uh, in in what government does. I mean, one for me in looking back was seeing the changes that happened after 9-11, where you had government just grow tremendously uh, under a Republican administration, 
uh, under George W. Bush's president, you had the development of the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, you you had uh, uh, so much happen in terms of government's engagement uh, related to the coordination of law enforcement, uh, to uh, uh, terrorism, the response to that. Of course, we had the the, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, we, we, we saw so many things happen in the function and focus of government uh, post 9-11. And we can expect uh, some of that to happen uh, as well. I think, I think what we'll see, one of the things we'll certainly see is probably a huge investment uh, into our uh, public health infrastructure, uh, something that is very uh, diverse across the country from state to state in terms of what state resources are put into that. But we could very much see government can even grow more uh, because of the, the need on a national level uh, to be more coordinated uh, with resources and with process uh, related to public health. Uh, that, that's been requested in the past. It's been an area of focus for some of those that are in government that have been in positions like this with the CDC and in other areas. The follow-through has just not necessarily been there, and I think it, a crisis like this will precipitate uh, analysis and possibly action on the part of federal government uh, to uh, standardize a number of things in the, in the realm of public health uh, when we get uh, through this crisis. So just a few reflections looking at the impact of the primaries, uh, where we're going with that, uh, but then how this crisis itself may have an impact on the presidential election uh, once we get past this and attention shifts back to uh, this race uh, for the White House, uh, for the presidency of the United States. We'll be back in, in a moment for our final section of the show, uh, so stay tuned to more Cogley and Morrow on politics. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Cogley and Morrow on Politics. This is Eric Morrow in the chair today for both Cogley and Morrow. And I thank you for joining us today or uh, after the broadcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're glad to have a, a growing uh, following in terms of listeners uh, who uh, tune in to politics, but also the the uh, how we try to offer on this show, not just looking at federal and what's happening at the national level, but also bringing that home here to Texas and even to our region. And so given the crisis that is happening uh, with the uh, coronavirus and, and the challenges that we're seeing, uh, I wanted to take the last segment of the show today to focus on our public health system uh, here in Texas uh, and to really tie into what I talked about in the last segment. And that was what are some of the things that we could expect to happen uh, going forward? And, and really some of that is really is the the need to have knowledge about what we have in place now, and and we look across the nation as I said in the last segment, we see that public health systems at the state level uh, are quite diverse. Uh, we have some states that have very strong public health systems that are integrated uh, with private. Uh, I saw this when I lived in uh, Massachusetts and in New York, uh, where you had a number of private 
uh, healthcare systems, uh, but they were very much integrated into uh, the state health system in that they collaborated with public health systems to provide care for people, no matter uh, what their socioeconomic level was, uh, whether they had uh, state or federal insurance or they had private insurance. Uh, it's interesting to be in states and see how all, all of this is integrated. Uh, in Texas, we, we've struggled with that. I mean, one of the things when we look back over uh, our public health system, uh, yes, there's been a focus on certain things like vaccinations. Uh, there's been a focus on uh, food safety. Uh, there's a focus on education, uh, helping people to know uh, what what's uh, how to prepare foods and what's best for their health, especially in talking about children or uh, families with children, uh, pregnant women. Uh, there, there's been uh, attention given to that. Some of that's funded by federal programs. Uh, some of it's both and federal and state dollars. Uh, but one of the things to recognize here in our state is that we, we really have struggled uh, and, and we're really in a struggle by that, as I mean, we've not committed the resources to have a really strong public health infrastructure. There's been much more of a reliance. If you go into uh, most communities uh, and, and you look at their medical facilities, uh, they're going to be uh, either uh, private or, or uh, uh, hospitals or hospital groups. Uh, there may be some public hospitals uh, in more metropolitan areas, uh, but you're going to see a, a very uh, a disparate system uh, that's often not as connected as it should be. Now, with technology, we've made a lot more progress in that area. Uh, the state, you know, we do have the the the, the Texas Department of uh, of uh, the state health resources uh, that are under the uh, State Department of Health. Um, but one of the things that we I think we're, we're challenged with in this state, and we really want to watch how this plays out uh, throughout this crisis, uh, is how well uh, those whatever health services we have, which, in some, again, in some areas are very limited. There is not a public option for someone to get health care. They, they have to walk into a hospital, whether they have insurance or not. They have to, to go into a doctor's office uh, and, 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 and seek the care uh, that they need. Uh, there are not very many uh, extensive throughout the state public options uh, for people to go and know that, hey, they can get treated, they can get the health care that they need, uh, especially when it comes to more uh, in, uh, intrusive medical uh, treatment. Uh, yes, they can get education, you can get vaccinations, you can get um, some areas do uh, some consultations and provide some services. But again, that's sporadic and very, very disparate throughout the state. And so one, one, we really have a challenge in that area. We really uh, are one of those states that the, this is not an area where we, you know, where we've spent a, a significant amount of state resources uh, to expand a, a more public system uh, that that is there to help those, no matter what their background, their ability to pay. Uh, I'm 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 really interested. I mean, one, on the one hand, I'm I'm certainly concerned about the health and well-being of many people in this state uh, who may need medical care, and we know that our medical uh, uh, people, our doctors, our nurses, and uh, our ambulance, uh, um, uh, our paramedics, uh, our uh, 
the people who are firemen and, and, and paramedics that work there, that, that there is this Herculean effort throughout the state to respond to this crisis. I don't want to diminish that in any way. People are putting their lives on the line as they do every day uh, to save the lives of other people. And we want to commend them for that. And we want to do everything we can to support them, to stay out of their way, to let them do their jobs, uh, but also to do our part during this crisis to uh, limit the spread of this virus or to slow it uh, so that they do not get caught, as I said at the beginning of the program, uh, making those life and death decisions. Who, who can I treat and who over uh, who can who can I, uh, who do I not treat? You know, who making those decisions where we only have enough resources to to treat this number of people. And so we're, we're going to have to make that decision to let some people go untreated and possibly die. I mean, that's that's the challenge that they could find themselves in. And so we need we need to have a tremendous amount of respect and support uh, for the work that they're doing. But it is within a system uh, that is not as supported as I think many uh, think it should be. And of course, it again, a crisis comes along like this and you don't see those challenges uh, until you're in the midst of the crisis and you go, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're not as adequately prepared to handle this uh, as other places, regions, and states throughout the country. So one of the things that may come out of this, and this may be a focus of our next legislative session for the state, which will uh, gear up in January of next year, would be what steps would we make? What resources would we put forward uh, to strengthen uh, the public health system in the state? And, and will that be a focus? I mean, this will be a challenge for our legislature in, in that we are very strong in, in the state, or at least the, the legislature, those elected to office on keeping some of these things uh, privatized, uh, not putting as much state resources uh, into areas like this in order to let uh, economic growth and development, which, you know, healthcare industry is a part of that, uh, to provide jobs and, and to uh, uh, rely on the ability of people to pay using insurance. Um, but, but I think there'll be more attention given to this, not just because it's a state-level issue, but it's a federal issue as well, uh, to look at how well states are prepared. This seems to be part of the approach that the president is taking. If you've heard several of his news conferences, uh, he has deferred to governors, he has deferred to states and their ability to get resources, their ability to mobilize their own uh, systems, both public and private within the state to address the crisis. Uh, it's just that Texas is uh, may not be as as quite as prepared. Doesn't mean that we won't weather this, that people will come through. Uh, it just means that we need to give some careful analysis to the way that we do uh, health care in this state, uh, both publicly and privately, and what the role government has. Again, this goes back to kind of the theme uh, for the show today, is what role does government have uh, in an area like this, uh, we, we, we look at it in public education, we look at it in law enforcement, we look at it uh, in transportation. We also need to give strong consideration to that going forward in terms of public health and being prepared, not only on a regular basis to serve the needs of the people of the state and to enhance their quality of life because they know they can get health care, but how do we or how are we prepared uh, to address a crisis like this? 
this uh, when it happens again. So this is something that, that I would invite you to do more research. There are plenty of resources out there that give you information about the public health care system in the state. Uh, there are institutes or centers. Um, the Texas Public Policy Foundation is one that has certain views on this. The Center uh, for Public Policy Priorities is another uh, a, a organization that has specific views on this. And it's interesting to kind of look and see how different people view this and how they'll view it coming out of the crisis. I want to thank you for listening to me alone today on Cogley and Morrow on politics. Uh, we look forward to being back with you again next week, certainly as this crisis develops and the decisions we have to make uh, here at Tarleton State. Uh, but I'm glad to have you join us today and be, be sure to join us each week right here on KTRL FM 90.5.